Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I say good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for coming today. Um, if it's your first time at Middle Church in person, raise your hand. Well, hello. That's a lot. Thank you so much for coming. We hope that you will come back. We hope that this will feel like home to you like it does to us. If you're online for the very first time, I'm Jackie Lewis. Pronouns are she, her, hers. They let me be the senior minister here, much to my joy and delight. Uh, so I'm really glad to be with you today. I am also glad to announce that I am fully COVID-free. I found myself uh, this morning thinking about how grateful I am for our community. I know it's a pain in the behind, right, to wear a mask. A pain. But literally, because we mask and we test, we are keeping each other safe, as safe as can be, because I'm fully boosted, like my big symptom was tired, and I'm thanking God for that as well. So let's continue to be careful. We lost one of our beloved to COVID, so COVID can claim you. So let us, let us continue to be careful. And again, thank you so much for complying and all the things. I'm grateful. It's March now, which I cannot believe, but it is March. And therefore, we're celebrating women. We're celebrating women. Does any church in America have as many women on staff as we do? I don't know. I'm so grateful uh, for the gifts that women bring to the system. We're going to be doing Women's History Month uh, sermons all month long, starting today. On the last Sunday in the month, you get like a big old trio quartet from me and Mira and Natalie and Amanda. Um, starting tomorrow night, uh, every Monday, there'll be a Bible study that's at 7 o'clock. And those will be texts that we're going to pick up from the scriptures that we've been focusing on. And we just hope that you will zoom in and come to and learn about all the ways that women's theologies uh, are shaping what's happening today and shape them then. Um, please, I'm going to just say one more time, of all the things that are happening, we hope that you will buy a ticket to um, Freedom Rising, uh, Dismantling Fascism with Fierce Love. It is the best lineup, the most diverse lineup we've ever had of people that you follow in social media, uh, that you follow on the, in the TikToks and all the places, lawyers, doctors, ethicists, theologians. We've widened our tent, and it's going to be fierce. It's at West End. We're in person at West End Collegiate Church. Please, Middle Church, don't not buy a ticket to your own conference. <laughs> Did I say that the way I really wanted to say it? Child, don't let your own conference go by and you don't come to it. Use the code Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, to get a middle discount. One of these cuenta para ti, come to the conference, okay? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say we're going to govern ourselves accordingly. <laughs> Last thing that I want to make sure I say to you is that we did lose our beloved auntie, big sister, Achebe Betty Powell to COVID. She died two weeks ago now. To say it out loud is the most disbelieving thing I can say to you. Uh, but we are going to celebrate her life next Saturday, March 11, here at East End Temple. <coughs> Sorry, guys. At 1.30. So come. Uh, it will also be Zoomed on YouTube, but come and celebrate Achebe's life with her family. And Sandy Stone's family is in the process of planning a memorial for her. And as soon as we know what time that is, we will let you know. So thinking about our aunties as our ancestors, thinking about the good gifts that we've gotten from the women in our lives, let's take a breath. And we're going to sing our opening hymn, a jazzy, beautiful version of I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. If you're able to stand and sing, please do. Thank you.
Good morning, beloveds. Will you pray with me? Holy Creator God, as we mark the World Day of Prayer, we recognize the many names you are known by, the many names you are called on by all your children and all your creation whom you have formed in your likeness. God of many names, you placed a great responsibility on us to steward this earth and all of creation. You made us dependent on one another so we would share the responsibility of sustaining life. Life that is the widest expression of love to every being you have created. God of many names, may we animate your love by ending all war and violence feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the unhoused, and listening to those who have been silenced by oppression. God of many names, you are the great comforter, and you comfort us even now as we continue to remember our loved ones who have passed. Those most recently, Achebe Powell, Sandy Stone, Ayanna Moore, who have joined the community of saints. Embrace those of us who mourn, their family and friends. Embrace new adventures in your comforting presence, O oh God. In all that we carry, in all that we do, usher us in towards peace. Shalom, Shanti, Salam, Paz, Hewa, Amani, healing the earth and healing each other, knowing we are loved 
and beloved, knowing even in our weariness, we can always find our way back to you. In your many names we pray, amen. Amen. Will you all rise with me in body and in spirit as we pray the Lord's Prayer that is in your bulletin, or you can pray the words that is closest to your heart. Ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign, and the power, and the glory forever. And now, beloveds, let us greet one another in peace, remembering to be COVID safe. Recognize the divine in you is also the divine in your neighbors. Peace be with you.
Thank you. We will now listen to our anthem sung by Kaylin Osborne. to my piano I tried to talk to my guitar talk to my imagination turn to things that made me small I tried and tried and tried some more told secrets till my voice was sore tired of empty conversation cause no one hears me I'm blown away by the beauty of Kaylin's voice. Our little baby, a grown-up teenage girl starring in prom at her high school. I'm not saying going to the prom, I'm saying starring in prom, being done by her high school. Um, we're glad to see our little ones grow up. Y'all, love you so much. Say a prayer with me, please. God, the lyrics to that song are so our prayer. Is anybody listening? Is anybody listening to what we cry, to what we sing? We can feel lost, we can feel helpless, we can even feel futile or stupid that, that there's just going into the world our prayers and our hopes. Are you listening to us, Holy One? Help us to feel confident in you, even when we don't have a strong evidence, even when we're between the now and the not yet, God, of you coming to us. Help us 
to feel confident in you, in the spaces where we need to be convinced that you love us, whisper to us, yes. Whisper, yes, I do. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read a little scripture and tell a long story. (laughs) Today's lessons are about Abram, who became the father of nations, and Sarai, who became Sarah, and Hagar, and Ishmael, and Isaac, and oh my goodness, it's about all of that. It's a handmaid's tale today. Handmaid's Tale. But this piece right here is in Genesis 16, focused on Hagar. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go. Sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave Hagar to his husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. When Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated her. The angel of the Lord saw Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And God said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. (laughs) This is... The word of God. (laughs) For the people of God, thanks be to God. Kind of. Amen. Now, it will not shock you that I have a hermeneutic of suspicion, (laughs) a lens of suspicion about this text. It might shock you to think that I believe it is my Jesus-bound duty to have a hermeneutic of suspicion about this text. Let me tell you more about the story. You know the story. Most of us know this story, but let me just say it in a kind of Jackie, womanist, modern sense kind of way. In chapter 12 in Genesis, God says to Abraham, I have a plan for your life, a thing we're going to do. You are going to be the father of many children, many nations. There'll be so many people coming from the fruit of your loin that you will not be able to count them. And Abraham was like, bet. That sounds great. God says, in order to make this happen, I need you to get up, get your things, get your silver, get your gold, get your wood, get your people, get your other wives. Get your stuff, your horses, your camels. Let's go. We're going to go to a new land. And this is where this is going to take place. So Abraham gets up and he goes. And there's like, you know, 
fun with Abraham across time. Um, but he marries a beautiful woman named Sarai. And she's so beautiful that there's a time in the life of Abraham when he pretends like Sarai is not his wife, and that's his sister. And I'm not sure why he thought that was helpful, but he did. <laughs> anyway, in the midst of the promise of progeny, in the midst of the promise of progeny, uh, Sarah's old, guys, and so is Abraham. They are past prime time, and Sarah's infertile. And God continues to make this promise. He makes it. One writer in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, writes, God makes the promise to Abraham. God also makes the promise to Sarai. When God makes the problem, promise to Sarai, she laughs in God's face. She's like, what? <laughs> there's not going to be any babies coming from me. And because she laughs, there's kind of like tension between her and God. God's like, God's like you were laughing? She's like, uh-uh, I wasn't laughing. But she's, it's God, dude. She, he knows you were laughing. So she was laughing, and she and God have a little tension. And we're going to find out that Isaac's name means God laughed. So there's a beautiful etymology of the root of Isaac's name. Anyway, keeping it moving, the Sarah and Abraham fertility plan is not working. The, this, is, this predates the time for putting things in petri dishes, but they're doing all the things. Whatever the ancient Israel things, they're doing them. But there's no baby that happens. There's no baby that happens. And you know, it's hard to believe your old body can make a baby if it's not happening. So Sarah believes that there's maybe another way to do this, that God has another plan in mind, and enter Hagar into the story. Hagar, who's been purchased in Egypt, Hagar, who belongs to Sarah and Abraham, like their cows and their silver, um, belongs to them and Sarah believes that it is her right to take that woman and give that woman, that human being, to her husband to impregnate so that the baby can come. Are you with me? Doesn't that sound lovely? Um, somebody somewhere is saying it was God's will. Somebody somewhere is saying Sarah was listening for the will of God and it was the will of God. It was the will of God for Hagar to be a tool in this making of the baby. I say Sarah and, ha and Abraham were impatient with God. And they couldn't imagine that God could be the miraculous baby maker that God turned out to be. So they took matters in their own hands and they put Hagar in the role of handmaid. Do you know Margaret Atwood's book? Do you know the TV show? Do you know how this went, how it went down? Like how it likely went down? Is it likely... Sarah's in the baby-making room. That's all I'm going to say. There's children in the room. And, you know, watching and being in hard part of it and all the things. And then Hagar conceives, and then the baby belongs to who? The baby belongs to Sarah. And the part of the text I read is that Hagar then feels so resentful. I mean... Not just because she's pregnant, but she's not free. She doesn't belong to herself. She belongs to these people. And she's pregnant with the heir to all the stuff. I'd get an attitude, wouldn't you? You can't make a baby, and I just did. I'm still beholden to you. The text says it's Abraham's wife, but it's not really his wife. It's really a kind of concubine-type moment uh, to be used. So Sarah's angry and and she puts Hagar out into the wilderness. Now, this is the part of the text that I just want to punch around a little bit. Like, Sarah owns Hagar. Abraham done made Hagar his other woman, perhaps even giving her jewelry and perfume and stuff. I don't know, when things go well, right? But he's pleased that she's pregnant, yet... Hagar is a tool and disposable tool at that to be put out of doors because her attitude does not line up with servitude and beholdenness and whatever all you're supposed to feel when you are a slave and you get pregnant with the heir. They put her outside. They put her out into the wilderness. Dolores Williams, womanist theologian who died last November, wrote a book called Sisters in the Wilderness, and she spends a lot of time thinking about the theology that's at work in this story. 
God tells Hagar through an angel to go back into bondage. I want you to just think about that for just a minute. How many women do you know in your life who've been in abusive relationships? Give me a small finger. Like a Baptist type. How many, how many women do you know who've been in abusive, violent relationships and had to stay there in order to survive? How many women do you know, how many black women do you know? How many black women do you know who've had to put up, shut up, sit down, be quiet, hang in, don't stand up for themselves in order to make their family work out? in an oppressive white system. How many of you imagine the God of liberation would tell them to go back into the painful place in order to survive? I'm not saying they didn't do it. Do you imagine God saying, go back into the place of torture and pain so you can survive? I don't imagine it. I imagine that I might make that choice I imagine that I might think it's the only choice I have to make. But I can't work for a God who would say, in order for you to be OK, go back into the torture chamber. That's my hermeneutic of suspicion. I'm just saying I don't think so. But I think our ancestors, I think the writers of the text, I think the people who listened to the story probably heard Hagar's story, heard her say, oh my goodness, I was out in the wilderness crying underneath the tree, and I felt like the angel of God saw me and the baby crying, because that's what she said. And when God saw me and the baby crying, God said, look, honey, here's some water for you. Here's some food for you. I'm going to take care of you. And God did take care of them. And then what? Did she think she would do better in the house than in the wilderness? She named God because she saw God and God saw her. Named God El Roy, the God that sees. Not the God that insists on my servitude. Not the God who demands my suffering. Do you feel what I'm trying to say? Not the God who believes the birth of this baby, uh-oh, Jackie, is more important than my own life. Not the God who believes that I'm a vessel for pushing life into the world and not a human being with agency and decency deserving of all the joy and love that is deserved in the world. She didn't name God. Suffering causing, colluding with systems. She didn't name God white supremacist, patriarchal garter of systems and structures. She named God the God who sees. And God saw her suffering and answered her cries, heard the cries of the baby, answered with relief and release. And systems that write scriptures that have liberation hardwired in them might not be ready for liberative word. It's our job to birth new theologies. Can I say it again? It's our job. And the womanist theologians like Dolores Williams and Katie Cannon and Alice Walker knew that it was their job to look at the holy text and to find in the text evidence of the God who sees them. And therefore, to see the God back and to name the God, God of liberation, God of seeing, God of life, God of womb, God of arms that can hold, God of milk that can nurture and feed, to see God and have a conversation with God and to be in mirrored reflection with God and to help the world see the God they saw. Can you come with me? It's our job to poke holes even in the holy texts when they smell like oppression, when they look like oppression, when they seem to not communicate God's intention for the world which is not bondage, but liberation, which is not oppression, but freedom, 
which is not your body is not your own, but rather your body is the place in which God's love lives. It's our job to wrestle with these scriptures. It's our job to wrestle with the traditions that use the scriptures to send women back into dangerous households. Because if it's good enough for Hagar, if it's good enough for Hagar to be stripped of her rights, stripped of her body, stripped of her autonomy, if God said to Hagar, you don't matter, your black Egyptian life doesn't matter, how many of our lives seem not to matter because we won't look sideways at that text and question it? Amen? It's our job to love God with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength. It's our job to look at the imprisoning, the restricting, the confining, the impinging, the oppressing that the word has done in the name of God and to break the shackles of these interpretations that cause pain to women, to femmes, that cause pain to the poor, to the outsider, that cause pain to our queer family, that cause pain to the non-Christian, to the Jew, to the Muslim, that cause pain in the name of love because we won't do our job, which is to keep listening to the still-speaking God and to ask ourselves always, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> and to say, as boldly as Tina would sing it, if it doesn't have to do with love, it doesn't have to do with God. It's kind of a simple litmus test. What's love got to do with that law? What's love got to do with that policy? What's love got to do with that interpretation? What's love got to do with 13 states, 17 states? What's the count? So, how many? Too many. Laws against abortion, like these people care about those children. They don't care about those children. They just care about managing somebody's body. And believe you me, in the rooms where the policies are being made, this is the kind of text that's in the backdrop saying, see, see what bodies are for? Understand this handmaid's tale? Applies anytime, anywhere the system wants to crush freedom and liberation. You can find a scripture That'll justify it. Our job is to find the scriptures that point to love. Our job is to interrogate every text of terror through the lens of love. Our job is to ask ourselves, what's love got to do with it? Because God is love. Period. And everything else is commentary, and sometimes it's not that right. as in it's not that just, as in it's not that holy, because it doesn't make us whole. Come on, somebody. This is our job. I love the notes I get about how wicked our church is. It makes me feel so proud. Those wicked people, with all those queer people in there, I'm like, that's right. <laughs> Those wicked people with the women talking, that's right. Those wicked people with their mixed up racial craziness, just like mixed fabrics. Not supposed to do it, not supposed to mix it up. But here we are in our spanks, uh -huh, loving on God and loving on each other. Right? <laughs> 
it's joyful to make those people crazy. And it's not just my job, y'all, right? It's not just Amanda's, Mira's, Natalie's, Ben's. It's your job. <coughs> That's allergy. COVID is gone. It's your job to be in the mind of, 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 of is there enough? It's your job, thank you, Mira. It's your job to be in the study. It's your job to come to the Bible studies on Monday. It's your job to go to Bible in the middle. It's your job to own a Bible. Do you own a Bible? It's because, you know, Bibles, you know, we're here now, right? Where's the Bible, right? But it's your job to have a Bible with a little bit of a lexicon, a little bit of a study. Ask yourself, what does that word mean? Where did that come from? It's your job. It's your job to not let us spoon feed you anything. <laughs> it's your job to be inquisitive, to be a theologian in residence in your own life. That's your job. That's your job. And so I'm going to just suggest a couple, three things, and I'm going to close. One, the King James Version is just not that good. <laughs> King James was kind of evil and stank and mean and had people write a Bible that he, he thought would be lovely because he was stank and mean and evil. So, and plus, what is it thou livest? And like, can you really understand it? Okay. So understand that God did not speak in the King James English. Jesus did not speak in the King James English. Neither Moses, nobody else, nobody else speaks in the King James English. So let it go. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Let go of the King James Version and get another one. If you want to keep it, because this strike reminds you of your grandmother. I, I have mine. It's got red letters and like gold leaf and whatever. That's cool. But get another one, OK, to study. Um, NIV, NRSV is new version. Get one and get one with some little indexes so you can look up stuff. Get a Bible that works for you too. Read it. Okay. I know sometimes we think a book works if we just. <laughs> but let's read it. Somebody said, let's read it. Let's read it. Let's read it. Three, we have lots of opportunities to learn because we want you to be theologians and residents in your life. So come. Like, right? Come. Sunday's great. Put a little extra, just put, a little, put one more on it, especially during Lent, right? Let this be a time in your life when you're going to get to know God better, where you, like Hagar, will be able to see God sees me, because they do, and God loves me, because they do, and then you'll be just having a little conversation with God, and you'll be intimate, and you'll know more, and you'll believe more how much God wants your liberation and freedom. And not only, not only yours, but ours, everybody's. That's it. That's all I have. We don't need, we don't need Handmaid's Tales. We don't need, we don't need queer people outside of church. We don't need women making babies that they don't want to have. What? Are you kidding me? We don't need to backslide from liberation and joy and freedom because the fascists are on fire with hatred and bigotry. We need love to liberate us and everybody. And the way we get to love liberating us and everybody is we interrogate every theological construct through the lens of love. Every day, every day, all the time. That's the tale we want to tell. God's love at work in the universe. Amen. Things happen now. Communion happens now. It's really interesting when you all stand and clap for sermons. <laughs> I, I both feel so blessed by it and also like, wow, that's a middle kind of culture, isn't it? Thank you for that. Thank you for it. If you like our sermons, you know, share them, right? Share them with your friends and stuff, yeah? Look at my sisters. <laughs> Look at my sisters in the wilderness. Look at all my sisters. Just as the spirit, Ruha, hovered over the deep emptiness at creation, filling it with life, so also is spirit, Numa, here with us this morning. 
in a dance, see there is dancing, with the creating God and redeeming Christ. The life-giving, comforting, exhorting spirit is here, guiding us through the wilderness, showing up in our mourning and rejoicing. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and bless this fruit of the earth, shaped by human hands to be for us a spiritual meal. Come, Holy Spirit, and bless this fruit of the vine, shaped by human hands to be for us the drink that quenches our parched and weary souls. Bless us on this Lenten journey with faith, wisdom, and courage as you guide our feet along the way. In the name of the one whom you sent to set us free, amen. Amen. Friends, this unleavened bread is the bread of life, broken that you may have, that we may have abundant life. And this, this is the cup of blessing poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Each, the bread and the cup, a sign and a seal of God's abiding presence in our lives, drawing us closer to them, creator, redeemer, sustainer, in a love that will not let us go. Eat now and drink, remembering the power of love. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. Amen. Amen. We will now have a beautiful Join the Movement by our beloved sister, Janita Branham. My name is Danita Branham, and I've been a member for over 23 years. I found middle at a moment when I felt like an orphan. My mom had recently passed. My dad had passed 20 years before that. And I had just finished about 10 years traveling in a sales job. People engagement outside of the New York bubble is quite different. <laughs> so I was searching for an Easter sunrise service in New York City. And the only thing I found was a quarter-inch ad in the New York Times that said, Jazz on the Front Steps, 11 a.m. Easter Sunday. Jazz, a favorite? At church? Wow. <laughs> I have loved and loved the infusion of arts in worship here at Middle but I have no talent. Can't sing, can't draw, can't act, can't paint. Used to dance before. <laughs> so being at middle, one could get an inferiority complex. <laughs> yeah. 
But I found out that even nerds can find a place in middle. <laughs> that if you have an idea about delivering ministry that is non-artistic, it can still be welcoming, bold, and inclusive. And so I've had the privilege of launching the Butterfly Sunday Brunch Bag about 20 years ago. <laughs> leading Easter sunrise celebrations, leading three mission trips to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, participating in our mission work uh, at the Rockaways after Sa uh, Hurricane Sandy, supporting Occupy Wall Street with respite housing and food, leading anti-racism trainings through Heal the Soul, Heal the World, protest marches and participating on the governance board and committees. So don't let being unable to carry a tune, harmonize colors, <laughs> or lift your legs. <laughs> Get in the way of engaging and connecting more closely within our middle family. We need your talent, your time, and your treasure. We need to rebuild our meeting space and external relationships. We need to reframe and reclaim what it means to be church through our programming. And we need to repair a broken and hurting world through our trainings. So join us. Become the change you want to be at our website at www.middlechurch.org. You can just hit the join button sign up for new members' classes, get your new member brochure, puts all of the information you need at your fingertips. And in the meantime, investigate the small groups addressing Bible study, voting reforms, reparations, queer and black empowerment, kids enrichment, and more. And please, Consider establishing a recurring donation for whatever amount you can and a wee bit more. <laughs> because recurring enables us to plan how we're going to spend. On the website again, you can just click donate. Click it for either a one-time gift or a recurring gift. On the back of your bulletin and on the screen, somewhere over here or over there, <laughs> is the QR code where you can make a, re a donation right now. And the ushers will be coming in a moment with the donation bags. Please, in all ways, be as generous as you can. Help us be the hands and feet in the way of Jesus for each other and for the world. Join middle and raise your hand to lead. Thank you.
wish that I could fly into the sky so very high. Come on, Sandra. just like a dragonfly. I fly above the trees, above the seas, in all degrees to anywhere I please. Oh.
are God, Jehovah Jireh. We offer these gifts as a thanksgiving and remembering with you, we are love, we are abundance in the kingdom. Amen? Amen and amen. Stand as we get into the next and the last hymn. rock and roll choir today. <laughs> Come on, rock and roll band. Woo! Love it, love it, love it. One quick announcement, friends, is that next week we have usher training. And like Danita said, there's lots of work, lots of work to do. So if you'd like to be trained to be an usher, please see Delaney and Monique. Delaney and Monique, Delaney and Monique. And if you were born in March, raise your hand. We're going to give you a real quick little birthday love. in front of the other and lead with love. It's our job to not only um, celebrate our birthdays, but to birth new theologies. To birth new theologies that are liberative and loving, hope-giving, life-giving, new theologies that break traditions, new theologies that push the envelope, new theologies that ask always, oh, oh, what's love got to do? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. We got to ask all the time, what does love have to do with it? And that's what we need to do. So go in the world as theologians and residents in your life, theologians and residents in the culture. And may God bless and keep you. Make their face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen. Come